laptop. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not in today. Today is Wednesday, February 1st, the year of our Lord, 2023. And we have an action-packed exciting show today uh continuing our walk through the maccabean revolt and uh honestly this is some good stuff i think and the key is if i get anything wrong the good news is everyone involved is dead so i think i'll be fine like because if judas maccabee was alive and i messed up i would be afraid of losing my melon But before we get to that, I have some joyful slash sad news. Uh, Joyful for her, sad for us. Longtime listener, top all-time guest, uh, Wanda Yancho went to be with the Lord on Sunday. And uh, to be clear, when we interviewed her, uh, she got more views on her interview than Bishop Earl, than both of his interviews combined. Did you see that? So she's clearly better than him, um, you know. But on the other hand, we'd like him to be back again. We would. So we'll just say, Bishop Earl, if you come on two more times, you might reach Wanda Yancho's record that she hit in one. Uh, but no kidding, guys, she was a gem, and we're all better for knowing Wanda and for her service to the church and her family. And I and I gotta say. How blessed we were just to get time with that angel on earth. And how generous, really, of her family to share her with us. I, uh, To Wanda's kids, I had a mom that the church kind of took, for lack of a better phrase. And I know how it is to share your parents with a million people. And when you're younger, it's hard. And when you get older, you just know it's right. Um, and I'm so glad you shared her with us so generously. Um, and we love you guys. We're praying for you and we're praying for Wanda to get home soon and uh, to pray for all of us, of course, especially Dave, who has an attitude problem. He loves the Tigers as much as me. That poor guy. <laughs> um, so, OK, that's that's it I got. And so today, let's all thank Jesus for Wanda. Let's pray for her family. And then let's get into the revolt. I didn't know how to tie Wanda into, like, here's what I thought of. So she played organ, and people who got killed in battle lost vital organs. That was the only transition I could think of, and I'm like, no, nah, I'm not doing it. Although Wanda would have laughed. Uh, so the last couple of weeks on Wednesday, we've been going through the Maccabean revolt. And I think I told you last time I should be able to wrap it up in our next episode. I lied to you. Uh, when I finished, I've got everything finished. I, I've got the revolt now covered till the end. Uh, it might take me two more shows. And I'm taking encouragement from your comments that you don't mind so much these historical-oriented shows. And uh, for those of you new to the show, to be clear, I do theology topics mostly, but uh, I'm a history freak, and I love this stuff. And, uh, yeah, one of you asked, uh, that was Mel Gibson making a movie about this. I don't know if you know, he tried, uh, and negotiations fell apart. So I think it'd be a great story. I mean, so, Mm -hmm. all right. Are we ready to dive in? 
Do you want to talk about the rest of the week? Just Oh, then tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow is Dr. Ray, my interview with him, his therapy session over me, and my attempted exorcism over him. Uh, Let's just suffice it to say there was a lot of tears and screaming, and that was just Ray's wife. (laughs) Uh, So that'll be a good interview, I think. I think it was a great interview. No, I had a great time. I hope you guys do watching it. And if not, it's probably because of some condition you have, but Dr. Ray can help. And we can dream about being back on chip, watching water go by. Oh, yeah, it's four degrees and snow on the ground, and tomorrow we'll be looking at the ocean behind Dr. Ray and I, you know. Yeah. It's Friday. Do you know that every day we gain two minutes of sunlight now? Yes. Did you know that? Well, theoretical sunlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the yeah. Uh, what about Friday? I don't remember. Oh, isn't that the day I go to the school? Yeah. Uh, let me go scroll up and look. Yeah. Friday's question and answer is going to be awesome. And I think I'm going to have a little assistant, aren't I? Yes. Yeah. And he's not actually so little. He was little when I first met him. But I think he might be able to take me now. Yeah. Uh, one of our six, six grade students. Six grade students. Dominic. Uh, pardon? Dominic. Yeah. Oh, is that what you were just saying his name? Okay. Yeah, his name's Dominic. And this kid crushed our sound system. And it was like, Carrie was like, how did you figure this out? I love his answer. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we were like, here to come be on the show. Uh, so he'll be here with us where we do a live question and answer from the high school, high school, from the school lobby. And then we're going to f- have the drawing for the 10 grand winning ticket. Um, so as you may know or may not know here at Holy Family, our little squeakers go out and sell lottery tickets for our lottery, not the house state one. Uh, and every year we do this and someone wins 10 grand, uh, which when the government finishes, I think is six (laughs) dollars. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm a little bitter. Do you know where the word taxation comes from? The Latin word for stealing. No, that's not true. So, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, so Dominic will be here. I don't know if he'll be on camera. We probably should ask his mom, but he'll be hovering around. And, uh, of course, Carrie and I hope to get him to quit school, like any intelligent child, and just come work for us for, like, sandwiches. Every other day. Every other day. We're not going to give him sandwiches every day. Right. He's skinny. He's, he seems fine. Um, so uh, that's what we got. So it's going to be an exciting week. And all through the week, we're going to hold beautiful Wanda in our hearts. And if we can find the episode, we should post it again. Uh, Carrie's scrolling like mad. Uh, I know it was in our old studio, if that's yes. helpful. Because yep. she's tiny and I am large. And... I felt so bad for her, like I was oozing onto her at one point, <laughs> like an airline seat. Awesome. All right. So with all that, let's dive in. When last we left our intrepid hero, Judas Maccabee, and his warriors, they had just driven the Greeks out of Jerusalem and reclaimed the temple for God, right? The Greeks had mm-hmm. taken the temple and put a statue of Zeus in it. The, the, this is what the Bible refers to as the horrible abomination. Um... And they, how did the Jews do this? Well, they did it through guile, discipline, and utilizing guerrilla tactics. And at this point now, 
They're super well armed. Their last huge victory allowed them to confiscate a lot of weapons from dead Greeks. Uh, and this begins a transition for the Jewish army. Okay, Now, there are a couple things from that battle and the re uh, rededication of the temple that I don't know if I got into clear enough. So I want to do that now. First, it's clear that many of the Jews living at this time and being written about believed in the resurrection of the dead. And that's kind of new. Um, this development's essential because we Christians embrace it. The Jews had always been a bit ambiguous about post-death. You may remember when we were covering Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that we talked about how comfortable the Jews were with, we don't know. Right? We don't know who's talking. Was it God or one of his messengers? They didn't know and they didn't really care. Um, they were this way about the resurrection, too. They were comfortable with mystery in a way a lot of us Roman Catholics tragically are not. Um, now, only the book of Daniel and Isaiah explicitly mention the resurrection of the dead. So it, we're never like, totally clear on when Jews really started to buy in. What we do know is that by the time of the Maccabean revolt, many Jews believed that if you died, or when you died, you would rise from the dead one day. Um, and I read you, you may remember at the beginning of this, the story of the martyrdom of Eleazar, right? Which was a grotesque and awful story. But in it, Eleazar laid down his life knowing that, quote, God would give his life back to him. And there's a billion of these stories in Maccabees. I'm going to read you one more just because it's really crazy. Are you guys ready for this? This is from 2 Maccabees 14. Quote, a certain Razis, one of the elders of Jerusalem, was denounced by Nicanor, he obviously hadn't been killed yet, as a patriot, a man highly regarded. He was called a father of the Jews because of his goodwill toward them. In the days before the revolt, he had been convicted of being a Jew, and he had risked body and soul in his ardent zeal for Judaism. Now, Nicanor, to show his disdain for the, or Nicanor, sorry, I always do that. Nicanor, to show his disdain for the Jews, sent more than 500 soldiers to arrest him. He thought that by arresting that man, he would deal the Jews a hard blow. But when the troops on the point of capturing the tower were forcing the outer gate and calling for fire to set the door ablaze, Rhesus, now caught on all sides, turned his sword against himself, preferring to die nobly rather than fall into the hands of vile men and suffer outrages unworthy of his noble birth. Don't you love how they write? And this is kind of funny. It's not funny. I mean, it's funny now. He's in heaven. He's fine. In the excitement of the struggle, he failed to strike exactly. So while the troops rushed in through the door, he gallantly ran up to the top of the wall and courageously threw himself from the top of the tower into the crowd. But as they quickly drew back and left an opening, he fell into the middle of the empty space, still breathing, inflamed with anger. He got up and ran through the crowd with blood gushing from his frightful wounds. Standing on a steep rock as he lost the last of his blood, he tore out his entrails and he flung them with both hands into the crowd, calling upon the Lord of life and spirit to give them back to him again. Such was the manner of his death. That's what the Bible records to us. Um, 
that he willingly sacrificed his body for the faith, quote, knowing the Lord of spirit and life would give it back to him. Now, for us who are Christians, or for those of you who are Christian, however you want to word this, this might seem weird that there wasn't talk of heaven or resurrection before this, but that's how it is for the Jews. And it still is to this day a fight, in not a fight, an argument in Judaism. The discussion on this topic continues to this day. There is no grand unified theory among the Jews about what happens when you die. Is there going to be a resurrection of the dead? Is that a real thing? And when we get to Jesus' time, which is only about 130 years away at this point, this was still an argument, right? Who uh, were the three religious groups during, of Jews during the time of Jesus? The scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, right? The Pharisees, which were the largest group, were kind of the liberals of their day, and they believed in the resurrection of the dead. Now, the most famous Pharisee for us Christians is, do you guys know this one? St. Paul of Tarsus, right? He was a Pharisee. And Paul played it perfect a couple times when he was arrested by Jews. What did he do? Do you remember this? He did this twice. When he was arrested by Jewish courts, he stood up and said, all this is happening because I believe in the resurrection of the dead, at which point the Pharisees all rallied to his side and the Sadducees rallied against him. Right? Paul was smart. So this was a big fight. And to this day, I don't know. I can't tell if it's a big fight. I do know it's a big discussion. Is there going to be a resurrection of the dead? The second thing that I skipped over that might be fairly to partly cloudy important for us Catholics, Judas prayed for the dead, right? You know, a lot of times our Protestant brothers and sisters will ask us, where's that in the Bible? And as I've shared numerous times, we don't care. It's not in the Bible, right? Or it is in the Bible. So this case, when people say, well, where is praying for the dead? Or where is the dead praying in the Bible? Well, there's a few places, mostly revelations, where it says the people in heaven, right? When John saw heaven, said they were offering up prayers to the Lord. So that's why we ask dead people to pray for us, because we believe in the resurrection. But not only that, here's a passage from 2 Maccabees chapter 12, which again, is not in the Protestant Bible, right? Luther chose a canon that removed a number of books from the Old Testament and a number of chapters, right? They, they're missing two chapters of Daniel too. But this is the chat, this is the verse and it's after a big battle, okay, that the Jews won. So we're in, ow, second Maccabees 12, quote, Judas rallied his army and went to the city of Adullam. On the seventh day, he, as he was, as the seventh day was approaching uh, Sabbath, they purified themselves according to Sabbath, according to custom and kept the Sabbath there. I shouldn't have read that part. On the following day, since the task had now become urgent, okay, blah, 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 Judas and his companions went to gather up the bodies of their fallen comrades and bury them with their kindred in their ancestral tombs. So Sabbath, they couldn't go get their buddies who died in battle. They couldn't go get their bodies. So now we're going to go get them. Ow, Sabbath, sorry, my hand. Um, wow. Uh, they went to bury them. So when they got there, under the tunic of each of the dead, they found amulets to the sacred idols of Jamnia, which the law forbids Jews to wear. So they were wearing pagan amulets. So it was clear to all that this was why these men had fallen. They all therefore praised the ways of the Lord, the just judge who brings to light the things that are hidden. Now, this is continuing the quote. 
turning in supplication, they prayed that the sinful deed might be blotted out fully. The noble Judas exhorted the people to keep themselves free from sin, for they had seen with their own eyes what happened because of sin. He then took a collection among the soldiers, amounting to 2,000 silver drachmas, which he sent to Jerusalem to provide for an expiatory sacrifice. In doing this, he acted in a very excellent and noble way, inasmuch as he had the resurrection of the dead in mind. For if he were not expecting the dead to rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. But Judas did this with the view to the splendid reward that awaits those who had gone to rest in godliness. This was a very holy and pious thought. He made atonement for the dead that they might be absolved of their sin. So there it is right there. Judas made a sacrifice and offered prayers for the dead that they might be forgiven of their sins. Third, what is Hanukkah? Right now, why are we getting into this? One, because of the Adam Sandler song. Uh, But remember how we ended our session last week with the cleansing of the temple? Well, this is what Hanukkah commemorates, as well as a miracle that occurred when they did it. Hanukkah means dedication, and this holiday is the celebration of the rededication of the temple. So once the Jews retook the temple, Judas called on his followers. We got to cleanse it, rebuild its altar, and light its menorah. Now the menorah is this gold candelabrum, whose seven branches represent the knowledge, uh, knowledge and creation, and they were meant to be kept burning every night. Now according to the Talmud, Judas and the other Jews who took part in the rededication of the second temple saw a miracle, namely. There wasn't enough oil to keep the menorah candles burning for a single day, uh, for the seven days required. They only had enough oil for one day. But the flames continued every night, which gave them time to make new olive oil. And that's the root of Hanukkah. The candles stayed lit for seven days, even though there was only enough oil for one day. So uh, that's Hanukkah, right? They have a menorah, a nine-branched menorah. Uh, and on each of the holidays, eight nights, another candle is added to the menorah after sundown. And then the ninth candle, which is called the helper, is used to light the others. They recite blessings during this time. Uh, they do a ritual and display that menorah prominently in a window as a reminder to everyone else of the miracle of the holiday. Uh, they will traditionally also fry food and oil, right, which is fun. Potato cakes, jam-filled donuts, these are pretty popular. Uh, they also will play with these four-sided spinning tops, and I can't remember what they're called, but I do believe the four-sided spinning tops was a band in the 60s. Uh, uh, uh. And they'll swap some gifts. So that's Hanukkah. Right? I'm covering this fast. Are people keeping up? Are we doing okay? We're doing okay. All right. So that wraps up the first phase of the Maccabean Revolt. And it's going to get nuts, guys. There's three phases to this as far as I can see. So at the end of the first phase, the Jews controlled Jerusalem and some territory around it. The second phase of the war is different than the first in a few key ways. Number one, the Jews could no longer do the hit and run. 
they actually had to hold territories and cities. Remember in a guerrilla war, they were free to take a city and then leave. They didn't have to hold it. Just kill all your enemies in there, get the food you need and bug out. Now they got to hold cities. They couldn't rely on savagery and speed and discipline. They had to hold cities and territory. And here's where it gets rough. Ready? They had to fight open battles. They have to fight phalanxes toe to toe. Um, And you can imagine how it went. Right in the first part of the second stage, Judas went out to fight all the non-Jews in the region to kind of purify the region. Okay, Uh, and what he ordered or requested depends how you look at it. He told Jews. Head to Judea, head to Jerusalem and the surrounding area because he needed one base where he didn't have to worry about it being taken when he wasn't there. Does that make sense? The trouble is um, the harvest that year was grim and weather was bad and food became a problem. Now, on the positive side, it's going to become a problem for the Greeks, too. But Judas focused his might on laying his siege to Acre which was a citadel in Jerusalem, manned and defended by Hellenized Jews and a Greek garrison. Okay, So he lays siege to Acre. And in the meantime, all the Jews are kind of flocking to the region. And there's not a ton of food because there's not a ton of rain. And so harvest was small. Uh, and it's about to get ugly because you remember Lysias, right? He was the um, regent who took control of that area after Judas and his men killed most of the generals they sent after him. Do you remember this? That at the end of the last one, once Judas beat Nicanor, uh, Lysias did a peace agreement with the Jews because he had to get home and settle a dispute there. Is this ringing any bells? Yeah? So, yeah, he took care of the disputes back home and decided, let's head on back. Let's head on back. He returned to Judea with a huge army, and it went very badly for the Jews. Uh, There were a couple of minor battles that culminated in a big one. Uh, Lysias brought an army into Beth Zechariah, and Judas engaged them, hoping the geography would favor him. Basically, there was a passage there. And it's just like any smart tactician does. Okay, we're outnumbered 10 to 1. But there's a narrow passage they have to go through. Let's fight them there. Uh, That'll minimize their numbers. You saw this at uh, Thermopylae. You saw this at uh, Marathon. You've seen this in a lot of battles of that age. If you're wildly outnumbered, try to reduce the advantage of their numbers. And Judas tried to do that. The problem was, are you ready? Can anyone guess what the problem is? Kira, you can't guess because you can see the notes. Yes. Chuck, do you want to guess? No. No Elephants. (laughs) Truly, the Greeks brought elephants and the Jews had never seen one. Um, And they hadn't seen one, let alone fought one. And they didn't like this phenomenon at all. Uh, this is uh, now. I'm going to read an account that summarizes Josephus's account. Because if I read Josephus, it's in Old English. You know how that goes. So the war elephants unnerved Judas's troops. 
as the Jews begin to break for the rear. So now they're lined up. The guys in back who are supposed to be pushing guys forward see these huge elephants and are like, I'm going to go home. Yeah. Deuces. Um, they packed their trunks. Okay, that was bad. That was bad. I'm so sorry. Um, Judas's brother, uh, and this is sad and brave and wonderful, who was also named Eleazar, attempted to show his fellow soldiers that the elephants could be beat. So he charged into the Syrian forces uh, and attacked a large elephant. He threw himself under the elephant and thrust his sword in its belly and gutted it. Okay, good news. It killed the elephant. Bad news. When you kill an elephant, they fall down and he is under the elephant. Uh, the elephant falling over dead crushed and killed him. Now, this show of bravery, it says, was not enough to rally the Jews. They collapsed under the heavy pressure of the Greek phalanx. Okay, so this was a weapon. Um, the elephants terrified the Jews. They had somewhat of the advantage of the uh, what? Question. Oh, got a question? Okay, I got to do a lot of scrolling to get there. Okay, hold on. All right, hold on, everybody. We have a question. It's about Carrie's attitude. Do modern Jews accept the Old Testament canon that include the Maccabean, Maccabees? If not, how do they accept Hanukkah? No, they accept it. It's just um, the one Luther chose... Uh, I don't know. It's not that the Jews chose it. Um, I don't know how to explain it. But Luther wasn't making a decision based on theology. I don't think he was making it based on Greek as the original language or Hebrew as the original language. And I think I'm saying this right. That think of it this way. There's books in the Old Testament that were written first in Hebrew and then translated into Greek. And there were books in the Old Testament that were written first in Greek and never really in Hebrew until after they were written in Greek. The people who choose the canon that Luther uses are simply choosing to not use books or chapters that were written in Greek first. Now, I'm hypersimplifying, uh, but that's a quick way to think about it. Okay, So uh, I don't know any Jews... Uh, who don't believe in the books of Maccabees. In fact, they have four. There's Maccabees 1, 2, 3, and 4. We do not have 3 and 4 because we can't trust their authorship by our standards. And I do see someone says, I never knew what Hanukkah was. I thought it was Jewish Christmas. Uh, if it's celebrating a miracle in the Bible, why don't Christians celebrate Hanukkah? Or am I confused? Now, Hanukkah is not a big deal to most Jews. Uh it's considered a very minor holiday. Uh, American Jews, I, I would assume this was a marketing decision uh, from our non-religious companies who are like, well, let's get as many holidays in as we can. Um, so that that's important to know. Like when I talk to my Jewish, I got two friends, I would two guys I'd consider religious Jews who are friends. And both of them are like, Hanukkah is for us like Valentine's Day is for you guys. Right. It's like, that's nice. You know, and it's great. We're happy and we do it. We do all the rituals, but it's not a big one. Um, so it just kind of got rolled into it because of that juggernaut that is Christmas. 
uh, I think it got pulled into our perception. But to be clear, the Jews are very clear. This is not um, uh, Christmas. Yeah. Why don't we celebrate it? Because our temple is Jesus and we celebrate that at Lent and Easter. Okay. Uh, so how are we doing? Okay. So the Jews got their butts kicked and Lysias then marched on Jerusalem and a stalemate ensued. Okay. What was the big problem? Judas was sieging Acre. Lysias was sieging Jerusalem, and both of them and all their armies were hungry. The food shortage was killing everybody. In the meantime, Lysias gets word again, praise God, that he's got troubles back home. So he decided, I got to end this war and go home. So he did what he did last time. He and Judas brokered a peace deal. The Greeks went home. Jerusalem was safe. Now, to be clear, Nothing was really gained or lost on either side, or gained on either side. Judas promised to abandon the siege of Acre, which he did. Lysias promised to abandon the siege of Jerusalem, which he did. But make no mistake, everybody was still armed and still ticked, <laughs> which is going to set the stage for the third, set the stage for the third uh, phase of this war. But now we have an important element to look at. How's everybody doing? Good. Yeah? You look confused. Is it me? Oh, no. no. It's a question that I'm looking at. Oh, okay. I don't have glasses, remember? Oh, that's right. Guys, can I tell the story? <laughs> yeah. So, Carrie's smart and I'm not. That's what you need to know for no, this story to really, really rock. This will prove otherwise. Yeah. But I apparently am contagious <laughs> because Carrie came in here, what, about 1030 and said, hey, I'm going to head home real quick to grab my reading glasses. I left him at home. And and then in my nobility, I asked her, would you also pick up some lunch? Because I'm always thinking of the team. Uh, so <laughs> Carrie comes back about 45 minutes later with lunch and no glasses. Um, and I feel great about me. And isn't that what's really important? All I could think of was, you know what this was? You were me in the buffet line, and I was the little Chinese guy, just blocking everyone and ramming food down my throat as fast as I could. So I look at Carrie, and she's got this look, and I think, I'm not speaking clear, because she looks so confused. But she's squinting, because she forgot her glasses! But I got a banana while I was there. She did. She got a banana and I got a burger, just like Jesus intended. So the big thing that came of all this, guys, was that Judas sends an envoy to a third party to seek an alliance. Uh, do we want any guesses? Where, where would you go? If you're fighting the Greeks and you just got your clock cleaned and they only left because they had other work to do, who are you going to call besides Ghostbusters? I was going to say Bill Murray, but... Yeah, Rome. So Judas sends an envoy to Rome, and an agreement was made. Now, I think, I, if you guys don't mind, you got to tell me if this is boring, people. You have to. No, no, they're like it. Judas, we have the document. You can go read it in Jerusalem. You can read it in Rome. Uh, I'm going to read some of it to you because this is, well, I'm not going to read some of it. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's not that long, right? It's not like people had tons of time or, or tons of paper. And this was actually in bronze, but here's what it is. Quote, 
So Judas's envoy goes to Rome. He comes back from Rome with a document from the Roman Senate, because there was no emperor at this point. They were still a republic. Okay. Quote, may it be well with the Romans and the Jewish nation at sea and on land forever. May sword and enemy be far from them. But if war is made on Rome or any of its allies or any of their dominions, the Jewish nation will fight alongside them wholeheartedly as the occasion shall demand. And to those who wage war, they will not give grain, weapons, money, or ships, all as deemed best by Rome. They shall fulfill their obligations without receiving any recompense. In the same way, if war is made first on the Jewish nations, the Romans will fight alongside them willingly as the occasion shall demand. And to those who attack the Jews, there shall not be given grain, weapons, money, or ships, all as seems best to Rome. They shall fulfill their obligations without deception. Moreover, concerning the wrongs that King Demetrius is doing to the Jews, we have written to him thusly, Why have you made your yoke heavy upon our friends and allies, the Jews? If they petition against you again, we will enforce justice. We will make war on you by land and sea. That's the document. Okay? So, I don't know if you caught, the, the Romans are like, yeah, we're going to help as we see fit. You're going to help as we see fit. And we let Demetrius know, if he attacks you again, we're going to fight alongside you. Now, whether they actually did that is extremely doubtful. The Romans are masters of this kind of tactic. You just can't imagine how very good they were at subverting other empires. So, no doubt, and and I, I haven't read a historian who disagrees with me, right? No doubt. Uh, Demetrius got a letter from them saying, hey, if the Jews attack you, we're going to fight on your side. This is how they did it. They kept all of their enemies fighting each other. And then when things get weak, they fly in and scoop it up. Um, It's amazing. Like, the Romans kept track of all this. Uh, We don't have to speculate. They wrote down the stuff they did. Uh, It's hysterical. Anyway, so... What happened? Well, King Demetrius went to war. <laughs> he, he decided if he got this letter from the Romans, it didn't bother him, which is a really good clue that he never got the letter. The Greeks consistently got their butts handed to him by the Romans, which drove them nuts. They considered the Romans barbarians. Um, yeah. But anyway, uh, King Demetrius sent a general named Bacchides. I think that's how you say his name. Bacchides. Now, Demetrius was worried that the Jews would get used to this new freedom they got in the last war. And he decided to end the whole thing by sending a massive army. And this is where it gets really dark. Okay? Uh, Bacchides. Bacchides. I can't say. Bacchides. Carried out a civilian massacre in Galilee. He marched his army right to a place where there were no troops, and he killed as many civilians as he could. His hope was, I'll force Judas out of Jerusalem and make him fight on the open plain, and it worked. Judas had to go defend his people, knowing 
he was in a lot of trouble. You can't beat a phalanx head on unless you have a phalanx. And the Jews didn't figure it out yet. He did not want to go. He had to go. So let's go to the text. Here's the account of the battle. When they, that's Judas's troops, saw the great number of troops, they were very much afraid, and they began to slip away from the camp. Less than 800 of them remained. When Judas saw his army was melting away, just as the battle was imminent, he was heartbroken because he had no time to gather them together. In spite of his discouragement, he said to the men who remained, quote, let us go forward to meet our enemies. Perhaps we can give them a good fight, end quote. They tried to dissuade him, saying, quote, we certainly cannot. Let us save our own lives now and come back with our kindred to fight them. But now we are too few. Judas replied, quote, far be it from me to do such a thing as to flee from them. If our time has come, let us die bravely for our kindred and not leave a stain on our honor. So Judas knows we're done here, but all I can do is die fighting bravely. Um, so the army, the Greek army moved out of camp and they got ready. The cavalry were divided into two squadrons and the slingers and the archers came ahead of the army. And in the front line were all the best warriors. Bacchides was on the right wing. Okay, so what, what is this about slingers and archers? Slingers are just what you think. Dudes with slings, and they whip that stone around, and they fire it. And if that seems like a comical weapon to you, it was not. These were vicious weapons uh, that did a lot of damage. They're mostly set up to break up phalanxes, which the Jews were not fighting in. But... I don't, I don't want to bore you. Okay, so flanked by these two squadrons, the phalanx attacked as they blew their trumpet. Those on Judah's side also blew their trumpets. The earth shook with the noise of the armies, and the battle raged from morning till evening. When Judah saw Bacchides was on the right with the main force of his army, he rallied all his most stout-hearted men to him, and they crushed the right wing. Judas pursued them to the mountain slopes. But when those on the left wing saw that the right wing was broken, they closed in behind Judas and those with him. The battle was intense. Many men fell on both sides. Then Judas was killed, and his men fled. Jonathan and Simon took their brother Judas and buried him in the tomb of their ancestors. All of Israel wept for him with great lamentation. They mourned for him many days and said, How the mighty have fallen, the Savior of Israel. The other acts of Judas, his battles and brave deeds he performed, and his greatness have not been all recorded, but they were very, very many. So now, without Judas, the whole thing fell apart. The Greeks began to hunt down all his allies, and coupled now with what was a, what was now a full-blown famine, all of Judea was in crisis. Uh, the Jews are not only on the run, um, they're hungry. And the people approached Judas's brother, Jonathan, and they asked him to lead us. Now, he reluctantly took charge. And he ended up fighting Bacchides to a standstill. So they agreed to a peace treaty, and Bacchides went to Syria. So now we've got John in charge. 
Um, and again, it's so funny. What are the names of Judas's brothers? Some of them. We've got Judas. You've got Simon. You've got John. Right. And you see all this in the disciples. And again, that's part of the weird little not proofs for the existence or for the accuracy of the gospel. But the names of people match up perfectly with the Roman tax rolls. Everybody named their oldest boy Judas. Everybody who could named a kid Simon. Everybody who could named a kid John or Jonathan. It's how they thought. They were remembering and honoring this Hasmonean dynasty, right? Which is what we call this, okay? The Hasmoneans. I think I told you that before. Yeah. So this ends the second stage of the Maccabean revolt. And it begins the third, which is a series of events. The key for you to remember here is that Jonathan is not like his brother. His brother was a tactical freaking genius. Jonathan was smart. Jonathan was sly. And Jonathan does some things. Okay. Did you say there's a question? Okay. So I'll get to that question before we start the third phase of the war. Are people doing okay? Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. I got lots of scrolling to do. Hang with me. Okay. Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, correct? I would assume so. But again, it wouldn't have been big enough for them to, like, say, Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. Think St. Patrick's Day, right? Which is even barely a religious feast anymore. The pagans have taken it over uh, and reduced the life of a great saint to drunkenness, right? Um what about the Feast of Booths? Yes, Jesus definitely celebrated the Feast of Booths. That's a major feast. Um, question, were the Romans the only one who wrote these things down, or were they the only ones able to preserve their writings? A lot of both. Um, Greeks wrote everything down, but Romans were almost like you and I see the Germans now. Just very meticulous, very detail-oriented, very record-oriented. It never occurred to them that their empire would end. And again, one of the longest-running ones in history. Well, it's got to be the longest-running one in history, Uh, right? The Roman run really started about 600 B.C., and it didn't end until the the Arabs figured out gunpowder, right, in 15-something Right, 1540s, I think. That's a long run, right? <laughs> uh, to give you a sense of things, the U.S. is about 300 years old, not quite. Yeah. Um, were a lot of these troops related, obviously? Oh, yeah, everyone was related in a strange way. Yeah. Uh, they did not have a word for cousins. They still don't that I know of in Judaism. You just say brothers and sisters. They don't delineate a substantive, a substantive difference between what you and I would say cousin and sibling back then in particular. Uh, you were usually raised. You could even often be raised in the same house as your cousins. Um, that's where you get the distinction between dad and father. Right. Uh, Father was whoever the oldest male in charge was. Dad was the dude who slept with your mom and made you. I don't know. How do you say it? Dad was your uh, who you sprung from your dad's loins. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's lunch. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. So now we're at the third stage, are we? How are we doing? Yeah. Good. Well, we're. Or no, I don't know. I got to scroll, scroll, scroll. Sorry, I've I've covered 
nine pages of notes. I'm so impressed. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So, what do we got now? What time is it? I can't see. I don't have my so glasses about on. 15 minutes left. Okay. Less than. You know, I might be able to finish this whole thing. Okay. Or no, you're it's giving me. You? you said that like a mum. Just so you know, you were like, okay. <laughs> I mean. And I do have a last rites to do. That's true. That's all I'm thinking. Okay, I'll tell you what, good people. I'm so sorry to end early, but I'm gonna. And I, I, I got a last rites call to do, um, and I said I would leave as soon as I could. And you know what? Maybe this gives me that window to leave a little early and get there, because um, it's going to be an hour drive. So uh, I think I'll end it. What? Okay, so do I go back up? Yeah. Okay, so next time we get together is tomorrow. Uh, we will um, have our interview with Dr. Ray, and then on Friday we'll have our question and answer in the school lobby and see who won the ten grand. Um, I hope it's me. And people will say, well, are you going to give it back to the school? Uh, no. Oh. Are you nuts? Do you remember the part about it being mine? And you'll only um, get, get $600 in the end. Yeah, no kidding. When the government's done. <laughs> uh, is that why so many people think Mary had children after Jesus? Because there is no word for cousin. Yeah. That it's, it's, it's part of the trouble we run into when you had, you know, four or 500 years ago. People started being able to read the Bible, and they couldn't before for two reasons. Ow. Everyone was illiterate. <laughs> and two, printing was crazy. Like, do you ever see in all these medieval movies where they have books laying all around? Mm-hmm. Baloney. <laughs> Baloney. You, you can't. That would be like someone making a movie 500 years from now. And I'm dead serious. About the year, what are we in, 2023, and imagine them showing, and I'm dead serious, that every car had 10 Lamborghinis in the driveway. That's what it's like. Books were impossibly expensive. It was cheaper to buy a house. And if you got one, you sure didn't lay it somewhere. You locked it up. Right. Uh, seriously, there, there's all these books you can find in Europe where they're absolutely chained, like uh, bike people chain their bikes. Books were if you could get a if you could steal a book, you could retire. Seriously, that's how rare and expensive books are. Then the Gutenberg press happens and all of a sudden you can afford books, which is great. And then people start reading the Bible, which is great. But they weren't educated in the Bible, and that wasn't so great. <laughs> so you end up with people like I don't mean this mean. I, I don't. I, I'm going to look at you, and you're going to shut me up. No. When they think they're saying something nobody's ever thought of in a 2,000 year old faith. Well, look at that passage right there. It says Jesus had brothers and sisters. Here's two options. You are the first human to ever catch that. Or B, there's a really good explanation. Which do you think it is? Yeah? That always blows me away. Like, you know, you try to approach other religions with respect, right? And assume, well, they've thought this through, right? But when it's like, look, it's right there. Mary had kids. Oh, well, 2,000 years of wisdom and tradition, and somehow we miss that, right? Well, no, it's that the people who read the Bible back then were the ones who knew the culture, 
who knew how things worked. They knew the language from which it was translated and that there is no word for cousin, right? Plus, don't you think we would have known? I mean, really? Uh, or then why did Jesus hand off his mom when he was dying? If he did that and he had a brother or sister, that's called a blood insult. They'll kill you for that. And of course he was being killed, but you get my point. Um, so yeah, it's just, if you look at the advent of Protestantism 500 years ago, it ties in with the Gutenberg press. It's that simple. People could read the Bible who had no education in reading the Bible. And so you have a birth of fundamentalism, which fine. I, again, my Protestant brothers and sisters, you're my allies, right? We can, let's get all the people who are on their way to hell safely in the beautiful arms of Jesus. Then we can argue theology. Uh, but yeah, what do you do? Okay, so great questions. I hope this was helpful to you. Uh, next week, we will finish off the Jewish revolt, much like the Romans did. And we'll see how all the events we're leading to gets us right up to the birth of Jesus, which is crazy. You're that close historically to the birth of Jesus. Um, and we'll see how Jonathan pulled a couple really clever moves on the Greeks enough where they got ticked enough to pull a really clever move on him. Um, yeah. Okay. So thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to pray for beautiful Wanda Yancho and for her beautiful, thoughtful, kind, amazing family. And I can't wait to see you crazy people tomorrow. So uh, let's wrap it up with a prayer. Um, oh, please don't forget. I hate this, but I got to do it. Subscribe to our YouTube feed or uh, find us on your favorite podcast providers, Joe and Black Ministry. And, uh, you know, if you could give us good ratings, talk about how pretty I am, my uh, chiseled abs, my savage biceps, my ridiculous good looks and my astounding humility. Salad pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, Jesus, thank you for our Jewish parents, these brave men and women who fought for the right to worship you in the way you've commanded. Thank you for the miracle of the temple rededication and the wonderful feast of Hanukkah. And thank you, Lord, for men like Judas Maccabee who, who died because it was the right thing to do. And thank you for Jonathan who stepped up and took his place with great reluctance, but with an understanding that that's what you called him to. And for all of those things, Lord, you call us to that we do not want to do. Please give us courage, not in our abilities, but in your power to guide us, to save us, to lead us. Oh, Lord, we ask you to bring peace. We ask you to help us find a way to live in this culture well. And Heavenly Father, you know the people we love so much, and, and we worry about them. And you know all the people in our lives that we fret about. 
We give them all to you, Lord, because we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My Kung Fu is strong. I'll see you beautiful people tomorrow. And until then, peace. Is it over? No, it's never over.